Amen. If you keep the reading there before you, that'll be really helpful. Hopefully, as you came in, you got one of these sheets here and you'll have the reading there. You'll also see those dig deeper questions that Ali was talking about. And if you're part of a connect group, you can bring those with you. And that's what you'll be thinking about, at least in part this week in those groups. And then on the back page, there's some daily reflections as well. And that just gives you a a chance sort of each day, a little bite-sized sort of meditation to continue sort of thinking about this. We can only ever do sort of so much on a Sunday morning. So it's good to be throughout the week continuing to reflect uh, on the verses we look at on the Sunday. Last year, we went uh, on holiday to the West Coast, up in the Highlands and right on the very far West Coast. It's very beautiful. We went in February, so it was also very cold and very wet. Uh, But it was very, very beautiful. That's the first time, really, we've been able to see that kind of part of Scotland. Uh, So it was a bit of an adventure for us. And it was a place that was so remote. In fact, there was more sort of sheep than people. And you'd have these sheep who would just be grazing just on these sort of little patches of land and grass that, you know, in the day when the sort of tide had gone away a little bit, you know, it was sort of there and they'd just kind of do their own sort of thing. And they were sort of very, uh, they were not very scared. They would just sort of come up and do whatever they would want and, and things. And so we, in the car, as we're sort of driving through this single track lane towards the house, sort of stops because, you know, we being city-dwelling folk, you know, you don't often sort of get to see that. Uh, So we thought, oh, we'll stop, and then the kids can sort of see these sheep here. And so we're there, and we look for a little bit, and we go to pull away. And of course, what we not bargained for is this little group of wild sheep began to chase after the car. And actually, we found out that sheep are quite fast. You can see them really sort of belting it behind us. We're really having to sort of pick up a bit of speed. And we eventually managed to outrun them. We sort of get to the the house, and the kids actually are now scared. Uh, So we're sort of quickly trying to close the gate behind us because there's a big sign that says, don't let the sheep in, they'll eat all the plants. We just about sort of get in, and they're sort of uh, trying to get in there at the gate. See, sheep want a shepherd, don't they? Even when they don't have one, they look for one. And that day they found one in the wrong place. We were not well equipped uh, to shepherd those sheep. But sheep look for a shepherd. And I want you to just have that in the back of your mind as we'll come back to that at the end. Because this is a story, and I hope this morning as we think about it, won't just be a few tips for sort of better leadership. It will do that. But I hope that it will be much more. I hope that it will point us ultimately to Christ. Between the Red Sea rescue in chapter 14 and chapter 18 that we've just heard read for us by Isabel, between that rescue and then the giving of the law at Sinai, which is going to come in the next few chapters, there is this section of material which really is Israel's testing in the wilderness. The people are struggling because they are sheep. And they need a good shepherd to lead them. And healthy leadership makes for a healthy people. But Moses is struggling. And the people are struggling too. And the truth that we'll find is that God works through his leaders for his people's good. And so if you turn to those first nine verses there, we see a joyous family reunion, don't we? One of the most challenging sort of relationships in all of life to navigate is that between father and son-in-law. 
And it's a relationship that's very different even to father and daughter-in-law, okay? Because where most of the time you actually can't be more thankful to her for taking the son off your hands, especially yeah, as the dad rather than the mother. And you feel like, well, you want to do anything you can to possibly keep her happy so that he won't be delivered back. The father-in-law and son relationship is different because in some ways, no man will ever be good enough for a father's daughter. And so you, as that sort of new son-in-law, want to feel like you've won trust, that you will care for and you will protect and provide for this father's daughter. So, all that said, imagine how it must have felt as Moses came to Jethro and said that he wants to go to Egypt and almost certainly incite war with the Egyptian empire. And by the way, I'm going to be leaving my wife, your daughter, and my kids, your grandchildren, here with you. And I don't know when I'll be back. I don't know necessarily if I'll be back. That is a tough sell, isn't it? And so good news here has got back to Jethro that Israel are now free. And so there's this joyous family reunion. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. And there is a little detail that perhaps we've forgotten. It, it was somewhat sort of given to us back in chapter 4. But Moses and his family have been separated throughout the course of the plagues and the exodus from Egypt and are only now reunited. And so Moses had shielded his family from the chaos that was to come in him approaching Pharaoh and asking for Israel's freedom. So take a minute to think on that and think about how the Israelites who could not do that may have felt. And I wonder if this may have angered them because you, Moses, ask us to trust our families to you while your family's in Midian. If Moses is fearful that his family would be unsafe to be with him, why should the people trust him with their families? And I wonder if we have just a little insight into some of the tensions that Moses and the people have faced in moments. But here is that joyous reunion. And then look at uh, verse 6 and 7 here. When he sent word to Moses, your father-in-law Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses, for all the things that he has done so far, for all the momentous events in some ways that, you know, he has at least been a passenger on the journey in which, you know, God has been doing all these things, but nonetheless, amazing events, he's still a son-in-law. And so he meets his father-in-law and he bows to him and he kisses him. He shows deference to his father-in-law. 
And we can tell that this is a story relayed by two men because all the amazing events of Exodus chapter 4 all the way up to 17 and the beginning of 18 are summarized in just one sentence. In verse uh, 8 there, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Very neat way of summarizing so many momentous events that have happened. Everything that God had done, all the hardships, and that God had delivered them. And notice how Moses' focus, quite rightly, isn't on celebrating what he had done, but what God had done and where he had brought them from. And so when we share our faith with others too, it's not just about God having saved us in a past event, but it's also all that he's done all along the way, isn't it? All that he's done to bring us to the moment that we're at now and all, in fact, even he is doing now for us. So Moses celebrates everything that God has been doing and is doing amongst them. And then look at how this little section ends for us here. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Today it's popular for people, I think, isn't it? You'll have heard this, no doubt, to express that they don't follow God because they want to be free. And the reality, actually, of the darkness, the suffering, and the oppression that Israel face in the world, from Egypt in particular, challenges that notion, doesn't it? In fact, what we've seen in Exodus and what we see throughout the course of the Bible is that the goodness of God undoes the darkness of the world that we live in. That freedom, in fact, doesn't come from getting away from God, but freedom comes from knowing God and from being known by God. That's what we're seeing here in this story of the Exodus. But it's interesting, isn't it, that someone outside of the people of God, Jethro, the priest of Midian, is the one displaying the faithfulness that the people of God should have been, but haven't. And do you remember even just the last chapter was them asking, is God really among us? But Jethro sees that he is. Jethro gets what Israel had forgotten and will continue to forget in moments, that God has worked wonders amongst them and they should be rejoicing. There's that joyous family reunion, but secondly, there's an unexpected conversion. One of my sort of uh, heroes that sort of inspires me and I like to read when I sort of get a chance is the preacher Charles Spurgeon. He's a remarkable character. At age just 19, he took on New Park Street Chapel in London and would regularly have multiple services every Sunday for over 5,000 people. It was one of the largest churches at the time in London. And in fact, actually beyond that, became an incredibly culturally prominent sort of figure, earning the nickname the Prince of Preachers. In October 1857, he preached to his largest ever crowd, 23,654 at the Crystal Palace in London. But listen to this story here he tells of the run-up to that event. 
He says, a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace, I went to decide where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, I cried in a loud voice, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing of what was being done heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin, put down his tools, went home, and thereafter a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. Years after, he told this story to one who visited him on his deathbed. That was an unexpected conversion, wasn't it? And here we see that with Jethro, and I think that's how Moses wants to present it for us. Verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And he is thankful, do you see it there, not only that Moses has been saved, he's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, but that he has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And there's something amazing in the way that he portrays it. He says, you've been delivered, the the word there is, you've been snatched away. You've been snatched away from under the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's a rescue that Jethro realizes in his mind, this shouldn't have been possible. Humanly speaking, you shouldn't have been able to have gotten out of Egypt alive. But God has snatched you from under Pharaoh's hands. And Jethro has had this clear realization of what God has done. And it will lead him to reassess who God is. Verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. An unexpected change in his thinking will change the course of Jethro's life. Paul speaks about a similar Phenomena, Romans 12 verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And it is this renewal of the mind, a complete change in thinking that leads to a change in your life, that is the defining moment of faith that we all have to come to for ourselves. And what does he realise? He says, Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods. And Jethro rightly picks out the tune that the Lord had been playing all along. This is the message and the motivation of his rescue. We hear it over and over, that his audience is global. It is not just Israel. And that his purpose is his glory. Let me give you just two examples from two of the most key moments that happen. Ahead of the rescue of Israel through the Red Sea and the destruction of Egypt through those same waters. He says that he'll do this, chapter 14, verse 18, so that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Or ahead of the Passover in chapter 12, verse 12, he says that on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. It is not just to rescue Israel, but so that the world would know that God was indeed God of all gods. And it was not just judging Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but also the gods that they held to, too, to show that he was Lord of lords. 
Michael Morales in his book Exodus Old and New sort of summarizes this. He says, by wielding creation for his own ends, Yahweh had demonstrated his supremacy over the objects of Egyptian worship, which were no gods at all. The Exodus declares Yahweh to be both Lord of creation and king above all gods. And Jethro is a tangible, a visible example that God is achieving that very purpose. Here he is, priest of Midian, coming to faith in Israel's God. Realizing that Yahweh, Israel's God, is far above any other conception of God that was known. And why was God so great? Well, Jethro tells us, doesn't he, that they, that is Pharaoh and Egypt, dealt arrogantly with the people. In fact, the the word there is challenging because perhaps arrogant feels too polite to describe what Pharaoh and Egypt had done. The word there is that they had acted presumptuously over them. And it's, it's getting at the sort of thought process behind the actions of Pharaoh and Egypt. It's a thought process that they really believed they could rule over them as overlords because they were better. They were more important. Their needs mattered more. And so it didn't matter if this people had to be oppressed in order to find what they needed. It is, isn't it, the concept of all imperial and colonial empire building, both past and present, that idea that, well, we can do this because we matter more, quite frankly. It's an idea we need to repent of in the past, isn't it? To reject going forwards and to reset our vision for the future. But look there at verse 12, because Jethro's change in thinking is met with a change in worship too, isn't it? A Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. His change in thinking is met with a change in worship. And the sacrifices are the physical, the outward embodiment of this heart change that has happened for Jethro. So there's an unexpected conversion. And I leave this section just with a question for us to reflect on. What are we expecting God to do through us? And what are we expecting God to do in those he puts around us. It's a joyous family reunion, an unexpected conversion. And thirdly, we see a need for godly leadership. One of my favorite sort of TV programs when I get a chance to sort of watch. Uh, you see, the way I use TV, right, is I, I don't like to sort of try to pretend that TV is an intellectual thing and, oh, you can watch education. It's all entertainment. So I just really embrace that reality and watch stuff where I just try to switch my brain off. Some people in the world talk about kind of Zen Buddhism and meditating things. For me, I think in some ways that's what I do. I just sort of switch my brain off and watch mindless stuff over and over and over and it just goes into the next episode next episode next episode and one of my favorites is Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares because it's really quite fun if we're honest isn't it watching other people get berated for their failure it sort of makes you feel somehow better about yourself in some ways and one of the really sad things about it or but also amazing is that you find people who have struggled with these restaurants for years And they know that something must be wrong because they bring him in, but they just can't identify the problems. 
And he finds them on night one. <laughs> he finds them within the sort of first half an hour and has to pad out the rest of the evening because he can just see it. It's why sometimes we need feedback, don't we? Where we lead at home, in our family, at work, at school, at university and church. Because we can't always see the problem. And so Jethro here, coming in from outside, very quickly sees that the way that they're going isn't healthy and it can't last. Look at the responsibility that Moses has there in verse 16. He says... Uh, or just before, actually, in fact, in the second part of verse 15, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses has the ongoing responsibility that any nation has, and this is a very, in one ways, it's a young nation, but young only in that it's been kind of reborn a bit. But this is a young nation, uh, and Moses still has the responsibility that any nation has of maintaining law and order and security. Behind all the other different things, you ultimately always still have this responsibility, don't you? To keep the rule of law, to keep order, to keep security. And that's what Moses is tasked with doing, deciding these different cases between people, making them know the statutes, the word of God. Nothing wrong with the responsibility, but Jethro has a home truth for Moses here, verse 17 to 18. What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. It is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Moses, you are not accepting your humanity. You simply are not capable of doing this yourself. See, the trouble is, we sort of know that. We sort of know that there are things just beyond us in life that we just can't keep up with. You can't do everything. But we live in a social media-driven world in which we're told and presented that we are able, that we can, that we should. And so I wonder whether many of us spend a lot of time feeling somewhat guilty that we haven't lived up to some impossible standards that honestly no one lives up to. It's an illusion. It's too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone, he says. And so here's Jethro's advice from verse 19 to 22. I will give you advice, he says, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And we can maybe summarize those few verses there by saying he's, he's telling Moses, focus on God, focus on his word, and focus on raising up other leaders. 
And two specific sort of commands, really, isn't there? Firstly, do the jobs that you have been called to do. There are some responsibilities that rightly have been granted to Moses as his responsibility, as God's representative and prophet. It's right for him to do them. It's not wrong for him to work hard at those things. Do those things, the things that is right for you to be doing, that the people as a whole aren't called to be doing, you are. Do those things. Represent the people to God. Represent God to the people. Teach them the word of God. Do the jobs you have been called to do. But secondly, and this is the one that really usually stops us doing the first one, isn't it? Is let go of the jobs that other people can do. There are a bunch of other jobs that doesn't necessarily need you and that other people can do. Call and train other leaders to handle the day-to-day cases. Free yourself up to do the things God has called you to do. There's Jethro's advice. And then we see Jethro's reasoning in verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. There's three parts to that there. I don't know if you notice this. God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. Firstly, God will direct you. If you do this, you focus on the work that God has actually given you to do and you let go of the things that you don't need to be doing, that someone else could be doing, God will direct you. You will lead from God, not from your exhaustion. God will direct you. But secondly, you'll be able to endure. Moses, if you lead in this way, your leadership won't end in giving up, blowing up, or burning out, which it will if you carry on as you are. You will be able to endure. God will direct you. And thirdly, the people also will go to their place in peace. A healthy leadership will lead to a healthy people because leadership matters for everyone, doesn't it? Think about what we've seen even just in this story. Pharaoh's egotism, his refusal to let the people go, even when his own people are saying to him, for goodness sake, let them go. Do you not see The country's in ruins. There's nothing left for you even to protect. His egotism and arrogance oppressed Israel and ruined his own country, Egypt. Good leadership matters for everyone, doesn't it? And the point here is from Jethro is that, Moses, if you get this right, you'll find direction from God, you'll endure in the role, and you'll allow the people to flourish too. But I said to you at the beginning, as we come towards closing, this passage, I hope, or at least what I want to say about it, isn't primarily about giving you some tips for leadership. Though it does that, and that's good, and that might well help you very much in the places in which uh, you lead. But I want to bring you back to those wild sheep on the West Coast, looking for a shepherd, finding a not very good one, getting locked out of the garden just at the end. Because this passage is pointing us really to look for the shepherd that we need. We are sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus identifies this leadership gap that we have. Mark chapter 6, it speaks of him. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
Good leadership is good for everyone. And God works through his leaders for the good of his people. But as we've seen so many times and will continue to, it's ultimately God who provides. And God gives his sheep a good shepherd. Jesus in John's gospel says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, came and he laid down his life for us, his sheep, that we might live. Sheep don't make very good shepherds. They need a shepherd. And our job as sheep isn't to wear ourselves out trying to shepherd ourselves. Our job is to be sheep, to be led, to be protected, to be cared for, to be provided for, to be held up, to be rescued when we get ourselves lost. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We flourish as sheep as we come to the good shepherd to find direction, life and strength. So dear sheep, will you this morning again trust yourself to the good shepherd to care for you, to restore your soul, to lead you to green pastures, to lead you beside still waters, to lead you in paths of righteousness. Let's pray and ask for his help that we might do that. And in so doing, we might find life and we might find direction and endurance and peace as we lead in all the different roles in which we lead in our lives, that we might do that well for our own good and for others. Let's pray and ask his help. And as I do that, the band will make their way up and will respond in worship in a few moments.